Welcome to the Flight Deck, a leading edge podcast. I'm First Officer Dewey Duhadway, your host for this episode, and I'm here with Captain Andy Riggs. Welcome, Andy. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit, in case there's somebody joining us for the first time, what your background is flying for United and what your history, a brief history, because you have quite a bit of service uh, with ALPA. Sure, you bet. Uh, my name is uh, Captain Andy Riggs. I'm a seven, uh, 756 captain down in Houston. I've been at United for almost 17 years, and I've been doing uh, ALPA volunteer work for uh, 16 of those 17 years. I'm currently the vice chair on the negotiating committee, joined the committee in April this year. I was part of negotiations since January of this year as a subject matter expert from the system scheduling committee. On the system scheduling committee, uh, I was one of the ALPA crew desk pilots that worked in the network operations center. And uh, in conjunction with those duties, I was on the fatigue review committee and served as a flight time duty time SME and also did some trip trade work. So that's my background with volunteering here at United. Excellent. Thanks for that. And I think your background is going to be particularly helpful as in our topics that we're going to discuss today. And the in this episode, we're going to talk about issues that do affect line holders, but they really affect all pilots flying trips for United Airlines because we're going to discuss trip construction, how trips are built, even how we bid for those trips. But we're also going to talk about how the TA has some proposed changes for items such as ad pay and some premium pay options. And then we'll end our discussion talking about how the TA proposes handling disruptions to those trips, things like day off restoration and reassignments. But let's go back to kind of the beginning for the average line holder in terms of how we how we get all this started. So the TA has some changes with regard to the bidding window itself. Can you briefly mention what, what those are? Sure. Uh, generally, in the TA, we're able to negotiate a change in the timeline from when we uh, PBS is open for bidding, closes the dispute resolution window, and then the actual trip trade window opening. We were able to negotiate those items moving forward approximately two days. Uh, so PBS will open sooner, and then the awards will come out by the 13th and 15th, respectively, uh, for captains and first officers. In addition to that, all the uh, other Timelines there will shift forward to include uh, the trip trading window opening uh, well ahead of the 24th as it does today. So that'll serve our pilots in being able to bid for and get their schedule for the following month earlier. Obviously, that's key, uh, a key function in our quality of life, being able to book appointments and commit to things in our personal lives earlier, and that was a goal there. Great. Thanks for that. That is uh, That is certainly helpful. In terms of the AIP documents that are out there, it talks about the minimum daily credit now is five hours and 15 minutes, and I believe the current value is five hours. So is that a change? Have I got that correct? And what are the impacts of that increase in the minimum daily average? Sure. So today we uh, kind of refer to this as M5D, uh, minimum of five hours per day average. Um, so this obviously leads to an increase in the minimum value of a day of work, but it also leads to an increase in the number of days off by at least one day off a month for our pilots. So, for example, a line holder that's available for a full 30-day bid period today with a line construction cap of 87 and a half hours, that pilot can be awarded up to 17 days of flying in PBS for a total of 85 hours of pay. That's 17 days of work times five hours a day that gets you to 85 hours. Any additional days work there would break the cap. So today that pilot would be entitled to 13 days off with that cap of 8730. 
so going forward under the TA, the pilot could only be awarded 16 days of flying. That's 515 a day at 16 days equals 84 hours because any additional days of work there would break that same cap. So across the board, uh, and we'll have a chart available that displays this on the UPA 23 website, uh, pilots can count on, line holders can count on an additional day of, uh, off each bid period based on the additional 15 minutes of pay per day. That is a helpful explanation, Andy. I appreciate that. And and to echo your point, we will include this chart and other items of interest on the upa23.com website and hopefully in the notes associated with this podcast if you have that particular interest and you want to follow along. But I do think the visual on that chart is is certainly helpful. One of the other items mentioned in the AIP documents was something called a minimum calendar day credit of two hours and 30 minutes. Can you Tell us more about that. Is that something that's a, a change or is that a new feature compared to our current uh, UPA? Yeah, so the minimum uh, calendar day credit of two and a half hours. So that is that is a new uh, rig that was negotiated under this deal. Some may refer to this as dead day pay. Uh, it's not actually dead day pay, meaning the pay does not just apply when you have a day of work with no duty assigned. So here's an example. We'll provide a few additional examples on the website. An LAX-based 320 pilot begins a four-day trip with a departure from their base at 0005. That's a 2305 local base time report on day one for an all-night flight to the East Coast. The trip continues with three more days of flying with seven hours and 15 minutes of flying on each remaining day of the trip for a trip value of 2146. That's trip LPB. Based on the M515D rig, the minimum pay for the trip is 21 hours. Since the pilot is not scheduled for any flying on day one of the trip, the pilot is due two hours and 30 minutes of minimum day LPB combined with a trip LPB of 21 hours and 46 minutes for a total of 24 hours and 16 minutes of pay for the trip. Since this is greater than the M515D rig, the trip pays 24 hours and 16 minutes. Well, that's that's helpful, a helpful explanation, and I do think that will certainly have a lot of impacts as we, you know, proceed into the operation, depending on how we start and finish trips. I think that could sounds to me like those would be times when those could could be of significant impact. What this rig is really working towards, uh, as as all trip rigs do, they they serve two purposes. A trip rig is one to incentivize the company to build more productive trips. Uh, by and large, our pilots have spoken and said when they come to work, they want to work, but they don't want to have their time away from their families and time away from home uh, misused or squandered. So when they come to work, they want to be productive. So it does one or two things. One, it incentivizes the company to build more productive trips and have our pilots accomplish their flying in a shorter amount of time. That's less fatiguing, uh, more, um, more productive for the pilot. On the flip side, if they don't do those things, then the pilot will be compensated for their time. So like in this case, the pilot that starts at 2359, that counts as a day of work in PBS, it counts as a day of work for MDO and trip trading. So this compensates the pilot for the fact that they were only used for one minute of flying on day one. So it it works out in the pilot's favor compared to a trip that may have more flying on day one. Got it, got it. No, very, very great explanation. I appreciate that. Let me talk a little bit about some of our operations that are unaugmented, you know, in the in the basic flying operation. So we have some trips that have 
kind of long duty days and, and kind of, I guess it's relative, but every, every time I'm at work for a, a more than 10 hours, that's a long day for, for me, particularly when we're flying. So can you talk a little bit about what the TA is going to have in it regarding these unaugmented longer duty days and the compensation impacts of those? We were able to negotiate a provision for a pay rig for long duty days, which are duty days in excess of 10 hours. This provision applies in the actual operation as well. If a pilot was initially scheduled for a duty day less than 10 hours, and for whatever reason, the pilot finds themselves on duty for more than 10 hours, the long duty day pay is going to trigger, and the pilot is entitled to add pay on a one-for-one -one rig for every minute on duty above 10 hours. For example, a pilot is scheduled for a nine-hour duty day, and due to a mechanical issue, the last leg is delayed three hours, resulting in a 12-hour duty day. That's two hours above the 10-hour threshold. The pilot is entitled to two hours of ad pay under this provision. Sure. So today, uh, for unaugmented duty periods, our our limit is table B, FAR 117, table B. That's the unaugmented table minus 30 minutes. Um, depending on the beginning of the FDP time, this can be 11 and a half hours, 12 and a half hours, or 13 and a half hours, depending on how many legs you have and what time you start your duty day. We were able to negotiate under this agreement uh, an additional restriction there to the table B minus 30 uh, to a hard cap of 13 hours scheduled. So today that comes into effect for, for an unaugmented trip with one to two legs that shows from, I believe it's uh, 7, 7 a.m. until 11.59 local base time. Today you'd be restricted to 13.30. Now you're gonna be restricted to 13 hours for that duty day. Okay, and that trip just to back up one is would still be entitled to those extra three hours above above the 10 hour cap. You'd be paid an extra an hour and a half from the get go, assuming you flew it as scheduled, uh, but you're not, uh, but you're, they're not going to build a trip that's going to take you beyond 13. If I got that straight. That's correct. Yes. Okay, great. That's helpful. So we've touched a little bit on some, you know, these ad pay type of issues with regard to trip rigs, and I'm aware that the AIP and the TA have some additional ad pay uh, features, I guess. So I'd like to just, if you would, describe a couple of these ad pay items. I believe we have a a proposed long sit ad pay, and I'd like to, to hear more about what that means. And then um, uh, once we finish that, I think we should probably talk about field standby because that seems to be a uh, item of interest with uh, a lot of our pilots. But can you tell us a little bit more about this long sit ad pay that's in the TA? Sure, long sit ad pay is it's a new rig to incentivize more productive trip construction like we talked about and to reduce fatiguing sits during those long duty days. And then lastly, if the company continues to build these to compensate the pilots for instances where they're scheduled unproductively. So for it, it's a one for three rig, and that's for scheduled sits over two hours in length beginning at data signing. And it goes to a one for two rig for sits over two hours beginning in 2024. So assuming a data signing of October 1st on or thereabout, we would have three bid periods with a uh, one for three rig and then transitioning in January 1st, it would go to a one to two rig. So for example, beginning in 2024 for a crew scheduled for a three hour sit, they would be entitled to one and a half hours of ad pay under this provision. And again, as I said before, the goal here is, is not us hoping that the company builds long sits into every trip, so every trip triggers this rig. 
the real goal here is to incentivize the company to build shorter duty days in length, less sit time, uh, keep our pilots moving through the system and get them to their layovers and have their time spent at the layover and rest, uh, not spent sitting around airports being unproductive. That's really great. Now, is this a, a scheduled only provision? Does this impact the actual operation? For example, if you had a one and a half hour sit scheduled, but because of a delay, your sit turned into a four hour sit, does this trigger in that case or is this just a scheduled ad pay? This is a scheduled only provision. It, it does not apply to uh, rolling sits or sits that are generated by the cancellation of flying in the operation. In those cases, if there's rolling delays, um, we would anticipate the long duty day rig triggering and unless the trip was already built to a, a short duty day to begin with. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. So we touched on it briefly before with regard to uh, anything having to do with field standby. It can be a, a sore spot for, for some. And I know that in our, in our current agreement, when you lose your, you know, your first segment or possibly the whole trip, they can, they can ask you to sit field standby to potentially put you in the game if I've got that straight. But I'm aware that this this loss of flying scenario has a has a different way of being handled in the TA. So I'd like you to, if you can, talk to us a little bit about the those loss of flying scenarios and and what happens. Sure. So when when a pilot today under the UPA loses flying uh, before they report, there are a number of options that the crew desk has to repair the pilot. Uh, options most frequently used that pilots see are AV days. Uh, some of the less frequently used are uh, the pilot just being released. Sometimes we see that during irregular operations where the crew desk loses a crew and, and just by default, they, they don't give them any other assignments, so they lose them. Uh, a pilot can be required to have a phone availability window, and in some cases, a line holder and a reserve can be required to set field standby. Um, so line holders can only be required to set field standby today if the trip cancels before report time, while a reserve can be required to set field standby if the trip cancels before or after report time. Under the TA, all involuntary field standby is eliminated, and that includes field standby as a repair when flying is canceled. So a pilot can volunteer to field, set field standby still, uh, but that's in exchange for three hours of ad pay, and that ad pay is paid whether a pilot is used for additional flying or not. Okay, so the if you're on field standby under the the TA would be it's because you want to do it, not because you've been required or, or forced into that. The the three hours of ad pay you mentioned whether the pilot is assigned flying or not. So let's say I volunteer for field standby in that scenario. I, lo I lost my trip for whatever reason, and they do use me. They find another trip for me to do. Do I still get the three hours of it's it's ad pay? So I'm assuming I would get those three hours of ad pay plus the value of whatever trip I'm I'm flying in that scenario. Is that correct? That's that's correct. And generally, there there were a number of items like this in the contract. When you're negotiating a contract for sixteen thousand pilots, it's difficult to negotiate a one size fits all contract. So when there's the opportunity for optionality for the pilot, not for the company, but for the pilot. We look for ways to consider that. So, for example, if a pilot commutes into the base, and whether they commute via air or they had a, a long drive and, and incurred some expenses and toll roads to get there or other parking expenses, uh, the pilot may say, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm in position. I was ready to fly. I'm out some, some expenses, a hotel or something like that. This gives the opportunity there for the pilot if they so choose, and the, and the crew desk takes them up on it. 
that they can possibly uh, recoup some of those expenses in the way of uh, sitting field standby exchange for the three hours of ad pay. However, if if they're not interested in that, uh, it's the pilot's option to take that off the table and say, no, thanks. I'll take one of the other contractually compliant repairs under 20F1 or 20F2, and uh, otherwise I'll head home. So that's the thought process okay. behind that. I appreciate that. I think having the um, our pilots understanding where the pilots are in control of the scenario, if you will, versus being assigned something by the crew desk. That's an important distinction, particularly for our our junior folks that may or may not have experienced all of these types of disruptions and don't know, maybe not know their options, even in the current UPA. So I think that's an education process that's going to need to continue throughout you know, our, our time with the company. You mentioned the crew desk a couple of times, so let, I'd like to talk, if we could, briefly about some of the times that the company can offer some trips under some premium pay and different scenarios that were mentioned in the in the AIP documents, and I know the TA language should be available uh, for everybody listening to this. So can you talk a little bit about these company-designated uh, days for uh, for premium pay when the when the crew desk is trying to incentivize someone else to uh, pick up those trips? So there's, there's a few new options for premium pay that were negotiated underneath the TA. Uh, one of the items is that we codified going forward uh, the premium pay during the holiday period uh, that was negotiated several years ago uh, that we've extended that and made that permanent in the contract. And that that means that premium pay can be no lower than 100% PPU between November 30th, um, excuse me, between November 15th and November 30th and between December 15th and January 3rd. So the, the company is unable there to offer 50% or 75% there. Those all premium pay trips there will pay 100%. Another premium pay option underneath the UPA here in the TA is a company can designate 25% uh, premium pay for all trips flown in a specific category over a designated period of time. So, for example, uh, in Chicago 737 FO trips, they can designate uh, a specific week of flying or a weekend of flying if they see that they're shorthanded and all all trips that are flown in that category will have 25% premium pay. And, and what, what that speaks to is not just trips or picked up by pilots in the actual operation, but trips that were awarded and pilots who are already working during that time will be compensated there. And then lastly, the company can designate a trip with 125% PPU for a trip that is picked up not in conjunction with trip trade. So today they can tag a trip with 50, 75, or 100% PPU and you can trade for those trips as long as the trip doesn't start on the same day as the trip that you're dropping. And the same effort, we negotiated holiday pay that applies to all pilots who fly a trip that touches designated holidays. For full day holidays, a pilot who operates, and that includes the deadhead, a trip that actually touches New Year's Day, Labor Day, 4th of July, Halloween, Thanksgiving Day, and Christmas Day will be paid five hours and 15 minutes of ad pay for every such holiday. For holiday eves, a pilot who operates, and that includes a deadhead, a trip that actually touches the period between 1300 local base time and 2359 local base time on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve will be paid five hours and 15 minutes of ad pay for each event. For example, a pilot that completes a trip that reported on Christmas Eve and completes the trip on Christmas Day is entitled a holiday pay of 10 hours and 30 minutes for that trip, in addition to any other types of pay under the agreement. Thanks for that. And if I'm if I'm 
hearing this correctly, so 125% PPU, that is a new level of, of premium pay than, that we have experienced uh, until now, or at least in the TA that's out there now? Yes, that's correct. Okay, great. Again, there's there's going to be a lot of chapters and sequels and permutations that are going to be of interest to our pilots with regard to this. So I would encourage you all to go to the upa23.com website, get those educational materials there, attend your town halls if you can, participate in the virtual live town hall, and talk to your reps, talk to those who are in the know, and the FACT team is going to be available while this TA is open, and they're a resource for everyone. So. If you have questions specific to these areas that you'd like to dive deeper into, I would strongly encourage you to make avail yourself of those resources. And, and that's what what's that's why we are making that effort to make those those types of resources available so that you can make the best decision you can. Because a lot of this is new and a lot of this is is, shall we say, non-trivial. So thanks for for this. So let me let's switch gears now to just the the last part of our conversation here, and we all have been out in this system when our trip falls apart for any number of reasons. It doesn't necessarily mean that you went through a particular base or you fly a particular plane, but it happens to everyone. So can you talk to us a little bit about, let's talk first about just reassignments. I, I know there's a there are certain windows that are under our current UPA where the crew desk has a certain amount of time to reassign you to a new flight or or deal with the disruption in some way. Can you talk to us about how the TA handles those reassignment scenarios? Sure. We break reassignments into three windows. So if you lose your flying before you report, there's a certain list of things that the company can do to repair you, and that's under 20F1A. If you lose your originating segment or entire trip after your report, that's 20F1B. So that's a, a little bit different list of things that the company can do. Some of the options fall off the table for them. In addition, uh, under the current UPA, they have a specific timeline with which they can repair you. And then lastly, 20F2 covers when you lose flying other than your originating segment. So we'll we'll talk about what's changed there. So under the under the current book, the company has two hours to reassign you if you lose flying after you report. Uh, for your originating segment. Two hours is the limit today. Under the TA, we've changed that to where the company must assign replacement flying within one hour if you lose the pool trip or the originating segment after scheduled report time. So that's a decrease of one hour. Uh, however, if the company's under, if the operation is under significant IROPS where you're located, then the assignment time is increased to three hours after the operation resumes. So currently it's limited to two hours. This would increase by one hour to that uh, new threshold. Now, the significant IROPS is not something that can be just declared by, you know, the scheduler who's reassigned you or has forgotten to reassign you. This is something that's verifiable on the homepage of Flying Together. There's a, a map of the United States with our hubs in the bottom right, and you'll see the different colors throughout the day of what our hubs are, are operating in. In addition, the SSC Operational Division, subject matter experts, they have access to the IROPS log. And there's a lot of accountability there with that log. It must be updated uh, on an hourly basis. There's a requirement for the manager who's overseeing the operation that day to log why they're in that IROPS, to log updates. So it's it's not something that the crew desk can holler across the room and say, you know, hey, we forgot to reassign this guy. 
make make no regret. It's it's not like that. Uh, and that's what we were chasing after was something that is that is harder to move that one individual can't tip the scales there at at the knot to make this happen. Uh, lastly, that those cover the timeline changes uh, for losing the originating segment. In conjunction with this, for agreeing to go to the three-hour threshold for IROPS, was we were able to finally negotiate a timeline limit when a pilot is reassigned during the middle of the trip, the 20F2 reassignment. Today, uh, during during uh, a loss of flying in those situations, there's no time constraint on the company. And unfortunately, our, our hotliners and our SOC crew desk pilots well know the best advice that we can give the pilots is, unfortunately, there's no timeline by which they have to reassign you. Uh, if you're out in the operation, give them a call, ask them what their plan is for you, but the contract doesn't provide a release time there. So we were able to negotiate a two-hour limit when you lose flying in the middle of your trip that kind of starts a clock where they've got to decide what they're going to do with you uh, or rest or risk losing you to having to put you in rest or downline or releasing you if you're back at your hub. So that was the big gain in that section. The new 20F2 language covers when a scheduler fails to contact a pilot within a defined period of time and clearly delineates when a pilot's obligation for reassignment ends. Today, there is no time limit and the pilot must wait at the airport until the company reassigns them or they time out. A pilot who loses flying after the originating leg in base only has to wait at the airport for two hours for reassignment. Then, if the pilot is at their base and they have no additional flying, they are released after two hours. Or if the pilot has additional flying from that location and their current trip, they are released to that flying. A pilot who loses flying after the originating leg out of base only has to wait at the airport for two hours for a reassignment. Then, if the pilot has additional flying from that location and their current trip, they are released to that flying or the pilot goes to a hotel. At the hotel, the pilot is still subject to reassignment until the end of the planned duty day. Any such reassignment must start after a layover. And if no reassignment occurs by the end of the planned duty period, the pilot is placed into a default contractual off-duty period, which is a layover, with a default FAR prospective rest period assigned. At the end of that off-duty period, any reassignment made during that layover is subject to tighter restrictions. Namely, it must schedule the pilot to return home by the last day of the original pairing instead of the 20 Lima limits in the contract, which usually allow a day later. If no reassignment is made at the end of the layover, the company must head the pilot home and release them. Okay. All right. That is, that's a good clarification. When pilots do lose their trip sometimes it winds up impacting things they're they're stuck in the operation and they wind up flying into a day off for for some reason this is not an uncommon thing for really every pilot has probably experienced this so having those days off restored is a significant item of interest to a lot of our our pilot groups so I know there's a lot to this as well. And again, I'm going to just, I'll, I'll foot stomp this. Go to the town halls, avail yourself of the information, ask specific questions. But with regard to day off restoration, can you talk a little bit about how the TA addresses that scenario? Sure. So under the current UPA, if a pilot has their schedule modified to deadhead back to their base on a day off without any new flying assigned, this is not considered a reassignment under the definition of reassignment in Section 2, Tango Tango of the UPA. Uh, so an example there, if, if your last leg is, is Orlando to Newark to finish up your trip, 
and that like cancels. Uh, so now you lay over in Orlando and you deadhead back to base on your day off today. You are not entitled to day off restoration in that scenario unless you're unless it takes you below minimum days off. So the vast majority of our pilots in those situations will file will first call the futures desk, ask for day off restoration. They're denied, then they file a PDR, and and we have to tell them the bad news that the that the contract doesn't permit restoration in that case. So this is this is a change that we we're finally able to negotiate here. Uh, the definition of a reassignment under the TA is modified to now include deadheading back to base as a reassignment. And that that makes the pilots who experience this type of schedule modification eligible for day off restoration under 20 November of the UPA. That's that's a big deal to me personally because our our pilots' families don't care whether you sit in the back of the airplane on the day off or sit in the flight deck coming home. They just know that their their loved one got home a day late. You missed some things. And at the at the end of the day, not only are you going to be compensated and pay for this loss, you're also going to be entitled to having that day off restored. Under as far as restoration goes, under 20 November of the UPA today, uh, 756 pilots are not always entitled to day off restoration. Uh, their eligibility is, is governed by tracking the average number of days off awarded in their category in PBS. Uh, that's the 20 November 1 Charlie, I think is a reference, and that's found on flying together and crew resources. So it fluctuates every month. If your category happens to have more than 18 days off, uh, then you're not eligible for restoration. And the, and the issue with that, obviously, is you may not be a pilot in that category that got more than 18 days off. Uh, you may have 16 or 17, and but you're still going to fall under that ineligibility for day off restoration. Uh, and the TA, all 756 pilots are eligible for day off restoration. They're treated uh, like their brothers and sisters that fly the Airbus or the 737 uh, without regard to the category's average number of days off. So that covers our 756 pilots. Now for our 787 and 777 pilots today, they're not entitled to day off restoration unless they've lost more than one day off in conjunction with each reassignment instance. The the thought process there under the original UPA negotiation was that these pilots traditionally have uh, a lot of days off. And so uh, the loss of one day off uh, may may not be as impactful as a pilot that's on 737 or Airbus in that instance. However, under the TA, uh, 787 or 777 pilot is entitled to day off restoration for the first lost day off repairing them to the number of days off that they had before the reassignment. So if the day off restoration results in even more days off, meaning unused AV days uh, that revert to days off after 1500 the day prior, then the pilot will not be eligible for additional day off restoration as a result of future reassignments if they remain above their originally awarded days off. So I'll give you an example to make this a little bit more understandable. So, for example, a 777 pilot that has 17 days off and as a result of a reassignment returns a day late on a trip, that pilot is now going to have 16 days off. If the pilot exercises the option for day off restoration under 20 November 3 of the UPA and a four-day trip is removed as a result, so that's going to give the pilot the additional day off or, or restore them back to 17 days off with a three-day AV obligation. If the pilot's not used on those AV days, then those days are also now days off. So now the pilot has 20 days off in the bid period. If the pilot's reassigned into a, another day off later in the bid period, that's going to result in now 19 days off. However, because the pilot is still above their original awarded days off in the bid period, they would not be eligible for restoration. 
if the pilot received a three-day trip as replacement flying though on the av days or they were to pick up a three-day trip to double dip or somewhere else later in the month then the pilot would be back down to 17 days off and as a result of that second reassignment down to 16 that trigger uh, the need for restoration again no that's helpful and i think that i was unaware actually of that 756 provision in the in the current contract and as a 777 fo i am aware of the of the other scenario that you laid out i think both are helpful and again there's going to be you know specific issues that may be of interest and we're going to anticipate those listeners to ask those questions in other forms but i think this is certainly very helpful in terms of the impact of a of a day off impacting types of days off you know there we have our our two golden days off that we can be awarded annually is there is there a significant change now with a disruption impact in to in terms of gdo limits and 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 or other types of days off yeah, and, and uh, remember with golden days off, you can bid two blocks of up to two golden days off. So each pilot can get up to four of those awarded a year. Uh, so under the TA, under, first under the UPA, a golden day off is essentially just a pre-assigned day off as you go into bidding. Uh, so when you open up your PBS bidding screen, you see that you've already been awarded that day. You don't have to wait until awards come out. Uh, you know that you have that day off. However, in the actual operation, a GDO is treated just like any other day off, unfortunately. So that means you can be reassigned into it um, and have those GDOs disrupted without the ability to have those GDOs restored later on. So under the TA, a pilot cannot be reassigned into a GDO. That essentially elevates a GDO into a similar status as vacation days with regard to reassignment protection. And if a pilot is reassigned into a day off, and the reassignment is made prior to 1400, the pilot can request to have that flying removed from the trip as it passes through their base on the day off, and that further minimizes the disruption to their time off. It's great. I think that is a helpful explanation, makes that distinction between scheduled and actual more important based on what I'm what I'm hearing. So that's great. Two items for to conclude our, our conversation. There's an an item in the AIP and the TA having to do with a tr what's called triggered reassignment pay. So can you unpack that for us a little bit and tell us more about when that would apply? Sure. So under the current UPA, when a pilot is reassigned as a result of another pilot failing to report, misconnecting, or in need of a schedule repair, this is considered what's called a triggered reassignment. Those are all triggers for the reassignment. And that falls under step two of the of the UPA uh, in 20I. Uh, and that uh, that reassignment under step two, under 20I5, it pays 30 minutes of ad pay for the instance, unless the reassignment returns the pilot to their base a day earlier than their original trip in time, or the late pay day off pay under 20L6 is worth more than the 30 minutes. So at a minimum, the pilot's paid 30 minutes, but there are some caveats there where that, that ad pay can be uh, subsumed by other ad pays provided to the pilot. Uh, under TA1, this provision for ad pay and these types of reassignments for these types of reassignments was eliminated. So under TA1, the, the company was still able to reassign a pilot in this manner. However, they eliminated the ad pay for it. Under this TA, the provision remains intact. So that's back in the book. However, ad pay is increased to one hour from the 30 minutes up to one hour. 
and it's not offset by the overtime ad pay that is generated, the the replacement for 20L6 ad pay. And as an aside, because we talked about triggered ad pay and we talked about what was in TA1, uh, TA1 also eliminated untriggered ad pay. That's 125% ad pay. In this TA, uh, going forward, untriggered ad pay is back and remains unchanged at 125%. Okay. All right. That's helpful. And you just touched on it briefly. So I want to finish our time today with discussion about overtime pay. So this is pay if you're late for any reason at all. So I think this is maybe it's a new name for something that has been in the, the current book. Maybe it's completely new, but it, I think it's important for for you to tell us a little bit about overtime pay, what it, what it is and, and when it would show up for, for a pilot in the operation. Yeah, so overtime pay is definitely a new concept in, in our contract and, and really uh, across our, our peers in the industry. It's a shift from traditionally uh, ad pay being paid when you return to your base late being attached to what happened to generate that, meaning it was a reassignment, um, was it something that happened to you that the company could control or something outside of your control, like a mechanical delay or or a crew timing out and, and flying the flight the next day? It changes it from that. Also, it changes how it's calculated from being based on what the company does with you, whether it's uh, deadhead time or flight time, to establishing that, that our time off is worth something. Uh, so whether that's getting back late on your last day of work or getting back late disrupting a day off, whether the whether the company has you sit in a hotel in San Antonio for 24 hours and then operate one leg back to Houston, or they're productive with you, if you get back 15 hours into your day off, you're going to be compensated uh, across the board equally with your peer who maybe did less flying in that time. Now, you're always going to be uh, entitled to the day off restoration. We've covered that. So I'll, I'll give you a a couple examples and work through this with how our current system works and then how the transition to overtime will work. So in the current UPA, a line holder who's reassigned or deadhead to return to their base later than their original scheduled trip end time, they're entitled to 50% ad pay for the scheduled flight time duty time or flight time deadhead time on their last day of work. And then both line holders and reserves are entitled to the 50% ad pay for the time on their days off. So that's the first kind of change here is reserves today are not entitled to late pay, the 20L6A pay. They are entitled to the day off, but they're not entitled to the late pay. Under these provisions, a pilot's increase in pay is directly related to the amount of flight time or deadhead time that they're assigned by the crew desk and only available when reassigned. So if a pilot's reassigned to operate a, a one-hour leg back to their base on their day off, they're entitled to one hour of ad pay as well as a day off restoration, even if they're arriving back to their base up to 30 hours late. Today, a pilot who's operationally delayed less than 22 hours is not considered reassigned. So if you time out in Orlando, that example before, you time out in Orlando, they send you to the hotel and you fly that same flight with your passengers 14 hours later, you're not entitled to ad pay under the current book. So under the TA, overtime ad pay replaces the 20L6 uh, A and B, the late and day off ad pay. And it's based on the actual time the pilot returns to their base. So when a pilot is returned to their base under the TA, they'll be entitled to add pay on a one to three rig after the first two hours late on their original work day and a one to two rig for the time on their day off. So I'll give you an example and we'll have other examples uh, uploaded to the website here. So for example, a pilot scheduled to return from a trip at 1600 
on Thursday is operationally delayed into a layover to operate the flight the next day, returning to their base at 12 noon on Friday. So that today is not considered a reassignment. That pilot would not be entitled to ad pay. However, they would be entitled to day off restoration. Uh, this pilot would be entitled to six hours at the one to three rig. So that's two hours of ad pay for the one to three rig and 12 hours at the one for two rig for six hours under that rig. That gives them a total of eight hours of overtime ad pay. And another example, a pilot who has a mechanical delay causing them to return to their base four hours late in the same day. So last leg of the trip, you have a mechanical four hour delay. You're getting back to base same day as your original trip in time, but four hours late. That pilot is also entitled to overtime ad pay at a rate of two hours for the one to three rig. So four hours late, the first two hours don't trigger anything. The next two hours at the one for three rig, that pilot's going to be entitled to 40 minutes of ad pay. Today, current book, that pilot would not be entitled to any ad pay under 20L6A. Okay. That is very helpful explanation. Again, we're going to provide those additional examples as best we can in multiple ways. So if we encourage all of you listening to our podcast today to do some research, take some time, ask some questions, and find the answers that, that you're looking for with regard to your specific issue that, that might come up. I know we've talked about a lot of things today, Andy, and it's really been great. It's always good to talk with you. Is there anything else that you'd like to add with regard to our discussion about how we how we build trips, how we deal with trips, how we are paid for trips and what happens when those trips fall apart? Yeah, there's this is not the extent of everything that was negotiated in the deal. Um, there are some more, I'll just say, complex uh, items that were negotiated, some items that have to do with extension ad pay, uh, some items that have to do with downline soft starts, some really hot button issues for our crews, especially our global crews uh, that they've experienced throughout the life of the UPA that we've worked to address. Those explanations and examples are going to be on the website for our pilots to view. They don't lend themselves well to discussion just via voice. You need some visual aids to go with those. But we've also addressed a lot of those concerns. The concern uh, that our pilots have downline when when called and a soft start is attempted and, and the concern that um, how will this affect uh, my ability to get back to base? How does this affect any ad pay that I'm due? Um, am I am I doing anything wrong here? Is a crew desk following the rules? Those things have all been addressed as well. And I think pilots will be able to to take a look and see if that meets their their threshold for satisfaction. That is that is great. Again, thank you, Andy. This has been very informative. It's going to help our pilots make the best decision that they can make for this tentative agreement. So thanks to you all for joining us here on the Flight Deck, a leading edge podcast. You can help us out by sharing these podcasts with other United pilots and by leaving a review. Look for more of these podcasts in the near future. We'll see you next time.